Hello and welcome to Acro Tales, the regular podcast that explores the fascinating world of acromegaly. My name's Dan Jeffries and I'm your host. And in every episode, we talk to uh, various patients and people who have lived with acromegaly and uh, it's a chance for them to share their story and the work they're doing with the condition. In this episode, I will be talking to J.D. Fascinetti, who comes from Argentina originally, uh, but moved to the U.S. when he was about 18 years old and currently resides in California. J.D., welcome to Acro Tales. Dan, great. Thank you. How are you? It's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you. Thank you very much. Well, it's really great to have you on the show. I am sure that a lot of people who are in the acromegaly world will know of your work with Pituitary World News. And obviously, we're going to talk about that. Uh, but Acro um, Tales is really a chance for people to tell their story a little bit. And maybe people don't know how you came to have acromegaly or, you know, the, the symptoms or the indicators. And what we try and get across with this podcast is that every story is different. So how did it happen for you? Well, for me, it happened, uh, you know, after, after a very, very long time of, uh, of not being diagnosed, my doctors think, about 28 years, uh, and I had some hip problems. And I went to see an orthopedic surgeon um, who actually was the one that said, I think you have uh, acromegaly, because he had had a uh, colleague of his that was acromegalic and had a tumor removed, actually not not uh, too far after I was uh, you know, uh, diagnosed with a hip issue. So for me, it was like uh, uh, literally a bucket of cold water. <laughs> I had no idea, uh, like many of the stories we hear, I'm sure you, you've heard of, you know, uh, people get bounced around doctors, they don't understand what's wrong with them, and all of a sudden somebody recognizes it. Yeah, the diagnostic journey or the diagnostic odyssey, as they call yeah, it. Yeah, so for me it was a long one, uh, uh, which is one of the main reasons why we started Pituitary World News, as you know. So uh, okay. we can talk about that uh, a little later. If you so how many to. years would you say from sort of like initial symptoms where you were like, something's not right to the point where you finally were able to give it a name of yeah. acromegaly? So, I, you know, looking back, obviously, on, in hindsight, it's easier because now you say, oh, now I know what that yeah. was all about. But I think that the uh, my symptoms probably started when I was 38. I'm 65 years old now. So... Um, I, I started not, you know, noticing uh, pain, joint pain. I used to play a lot of tennis, and you know, I always thought, oh, it's because you're getting old. Um, yeah. I started growing. I started, you know, my body started developing um, later, uh, and that was a sign, obviously, that no, I didn't recognize. But uh, it was mainly joint, and uh, you know, just growing, hands getting bigger, feet getting bigger, all that, all that, and then my features changing. My features changed gradually. It wasn't something that you know, okay. said, oh boy, you look different. So, Did you find, I think the jaw and teeth is often a really good indicator. Did you have any sort of I dental did. issues? Yeah, or? I did. Not, not, you know, not too pronounced, but, but I remember the dentist saying, well, your teeth are moving a little bit. We can, you know, we can put you on uh, 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 orthodontics. And I, 
you know, I said, no, I don't think so. It wasn't, it wasn't that pronounced, but now of yeah, course. And also, and also I'm 40 and you know, why are my teeth moving? Why, yeah. why should I suddenly be having a brace? You know, this is the kind of thing you get when you're a teenager. Correct. Correct. But you never think, well, <clears throat> I must have a pituitary. Well, you never or, think you know. that it's unnatural or unnormal. You think, okay, you're, you're aging and this is the way you, you age. And this is the way, this is what your body does. I never thought yeah. that it was, you know, due to a, a disease. And so for you, when you were able to put a name to it, you said it was like a bucket of cold water. Yeah. Did you, did you, I mean, was there a, was it like an alleluia moment as well? Was it relief as well as fear or how was it for you? Well, it was a uh, uh, fear at first because I remember coming back home and, you know, like all, we all do going to the Google and, and you know, you, you all of a sudden a bunch of people that look like you show up on the, uh, <laughs> on the page. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going, Oh my God. But my, my, my next immediate thought was how can this happen? How can you go 28 years without somebody not knowing that, you know, that you have something like this? Um, and then it was relief because I knew exactly what was going on. And after I had a meeting with my, uh, uh neuroendocrinology team that uh, I was treated at university of California, San Francisco, uh, which as you know, is probably one of the best, uh, pituitary centers yeah, sure. in, in the world. Uh, they, you know, they were very reassuring. They were very good. And they said, look, we can. We, in my case, I couldn't get the whole tumor out, but we can treat it with medication and, you know, we'll get you back to normal, which, you know, whatever normal is after yeah, uh, yeah. a disease like this, it's it's good. I've been feeling well and having to deal with, okay. um, you know, the related conditions that, you know, as you know, are pretty intense sometimes. Yeah. So so you didn't have surgery or did they I had surgery, try to remove yeah. some? I had surgery in 2010, uh, a transphenoidal resection of the tumor, which was quite large. And they resected around, I think they said about 95, 96%. But the remainder was in the cavernous sinus or is in the cavernous sinus. And they can't really do much about it. Uh, so I, I uh, take medication. Yeah. Okay. So that was a, a macro adenoma Mac rather than a micro? Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. that was something I learned actually when um, uh, we've bumped into each other at conferences and yes. when I was at New, New Orleans, uh, my tumor was about seven millimeters, and mm -hmm. uh, I, you know I, I interviewed a girl called Lauren whose hers was seven centimeters. Yeah, you know there's a big range. Yes, it would appear that those over two centimeters, uh, it's a much tougher struggle to get rid of all of it, uh, yes. and the microadenomas have a much better chance of full remission yes yes you're absolutely correct so are you on medication to manage the remainder then you said I am. you were yeah yes i take a pigvisament which is somavert which is a daily injection and so obviously you know it's a bombshell when you discover that you have acromegaly and this rare condition and uh, and the impact that it has on your life from that point on. But obviously, you've turned this around and made it a positive. And so at what point did you think about um, starting up Pituitary World News? Yeah. So it was interesting because we had um, 
uh, been talking with uh, Dr. Blevins, who, was, who is my uh, neuroendocrinologist and now very good friend and partner on Pituitary World News. But we had been talking shortly after my diagnosis about the length that it takes to uh, diagnose somebody or, or people in general, you know, average for acromegaly is around eight to 10 years, they say, which is a, an yeah. atrocity when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, and um, so we had been talking about it and over coffee one day, we said, well, she, he asked me pointedly, what, what would you do? And I said, well, you know, I think it's an issue of awareness. If we can start doing things to make people aware of acromegalia or any other pituitary disease, no, in, in our case. But uh, I think we can create a dynamic where patients are smarter and they can understand that these, these conditions exist and maybe ask a question to the doctor that's, you know, sooner than later. And the other uh, part of it is to make physicians and healthcare workers uh Put it, so they put it on the radar. So they put it on the list of possibilities sooner. And I think if we can reduce, let's say, three or four years, uh, then uh, the related conditions would be lighter. And, um, uh, you know, the quality of life of patients would be, would be better. So I think there's a dynamic where awareness creates uh, interest and interest creates people that get engaged and want to learn about things. So absolutely. Um, so we, we we he he asked me actually how would you do it? My you know I have a, a communications background, uh, so I it's, it's this kind of work is sort of on my in my wheelhouse, like we say here, and uh, and and we said let's let's just get started. Let's publish and start it doing it in a, in, a, in an interesting way. And uh, that was in, uh, let's see, September of 2014. And we've been going at it ever since, you know, growing steadily and getting um, uh, information and content and connections all over the world. And uh, our, as you know, our content is being shared uh, through patient groups all around the world. And that's, you know, it's very, very cool because it's actually helping, um, you know, we know it's helping because of the amount of people that write to us, but um, you know, it's been it's kind of taken a life of its own. <laughs> it just yeah, and I think what what I found really good with it is that it's you know uh, sometimes blogs such as this can um, veer off into the very technical or the very scientific. Yeah, and PWN has always kind of looked at the patient voice and patient stories. Uh, as well as the science and, you know, the medical information as well. Yeah. Well, we try to make it um, so it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's easy to read and, 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 and uh, it will create some interest. I think when you go through the journals and I mean, it's just the information is very dry and sometimes very difficult to understand. So, um, okay. And what do you think can be done then to work with, uh, physicians, specialists, and even, you know, primary care, you know, GPs, general practitioner, doctors that can um, help speed up the diagnosis of rare conditions in general. You know, it's hard with just pituitary conditions alone. I mean, uh, there are over 7,000 rare conditions. Yeah. How, uh, how, do we, how do we change that mindset to think the old adage of when you hear hooves, don't think it's necessarily a horse. It could be the zebra. Yeah. 
It's not easy because it takes a lot of work and a lot of money. And you, as you know, physicians and healthcare workers are not easy to reach. And so what we do is we try to uh, direct communications and content to some of the, uh, what we call, um, you know, specialized publications. So we've divided um the audience into sub-segments. So we know that, you know, ophthalmologists will read certain magazines and go to certain areas and, um, you know, primary care physicians as well or nurses. So we try to get involved individually with these groups to either provide content or, um, you know, uh, connect with them in some ways, go to conferences, uh, make presentations. I, for example, go to the uh, European uh, endocrinology conferences and um, uh, just to, uh, you know, in Spain and in other areas, just to get connected with with different people around the globe, as well yeah. as nurses and, uh, you know, like I was mentioning, ophthalmologists or people that have the opportunity, pharmacists, people that have the opportunity to recognize somebody with acromegaly and perhaps say something or be aware of it when they see it. Yeah, I mean, um, I had this discussion with, uh, uh, in one of the other podcasts uh, with Trinity, who, was, uh, who worked as a nurse. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think nurses play such a fundamental role oh, yes. in the potential early diagnosis uh, of conditions. I think doctors and, and specialists maybe uh, can't see the wood for the trees sometimes, and nurses uh, can be very clued up on all of the various symptoms and will spot things maybe on a more human level. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, totally, totally. I think, uh, uh, yeah, nurses have uh, that, that opportunity. And the, the interesting thing about the opportunity is that, or the opportunity about engaging nurses is what I mean, is that um, once you see this disease, this condition, it's difficult to miss. You know, you recognize yeah. it immediately, which is even more interesting because... Um, you know, if you can make people aware of it in a, in a positive way, I think they would. I, for example, uh, have a, you know, I do, I go to a couple of medical schools and I make presentations to first and second year uh, students. Uh, and I can promise you that when I leave that presentation, none of those kids will ever miss anybody with acromegaly. They'll just even whatever practice, whatever area they practice in, they will know exactly what they're looking at. And, because it's just a question that once you see it, you at least you'll put it in the in the um, in the list of possibilities. No. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think that's that's really important. And and again, I was at the Medics for Rare Diseases conference yesterday, and yeah, and it's about rare disease training as a whole uh, for medical students and to introduce them. That you know, there is you don't have to study cardiology, especially or neurosciences or neurosurgery or whatever it might be. That this rare disease world is a fascinating world in itself, yeah. Um, and the challenges faced of that early diagnosis and that early prognosis, and to try and reduce that journey, mm -hmm. uh, the diagnostic odyssey they call it, from being yeah. bounced around from specialist to specialist, all of them scratching their heads, going. I have no idea. Yeah. And, no, and normally it takes a stroke of luck or a bit of fortune or, yeah. you know, you're sat in a restaurant and a doctor the other side of the room goes, um, you know, have you ever heard of the word acromegaly? You know, it can take things like that until people are diagnosed. And that's the real challenge, I think. 
Yes, I totally agree. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about acromegaly, it's a, you can physically see it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Although some people who don't have, um, uh, they don't necessarily have the IGF-1 elevation. And I've had been at a couple of conferences and I've thought, have you have you really got acromegaly? <laughs> yeah. Because you don't see those pronoun- the pronounced jaw or, uh, you know, the large hands necessarily. Yeah. Yes. Um, so th- that seems to be a minority, though, it has yeah. to be said. The imagery of acromegaly sometimes is an interesting thing because people, you know, equate acromegaly with, let's say, Andrew the Giant. And, and then you say, well, you know, if that's all the imaging that we see, we don't see more mm. sort of, you know, normal looking people with acromegaly, then we're always going to try to find uh, that um, that image, you know, as somebody that looks so, you know, the extremes, I guess. So um, I think there's, you know, there's a balance on how to, to work towards early diagnosis. You know, I think with acromegaly, if somebody's suspecting and runs an IGF-1 and the IGF-1 is elevated, then, you know, that is a fairly easy um, thing to do that would probably diagnose a lot of people um, much earlier. There's a big campaign in the UK with the Pituitary Foundation where the they really target dentists as being the first possible people to diagnose acromegaly. If they're seeing cha- changes in jaw shape, mm-hmm. position, teeth displacement, uh, you know, lower jaw coming forward in someone who's in their twenties or thirties, that's that's not normal behaviour. Um, and I know that if my dentist at the time had observed that. I probably would have had mm-hmm. three years shaved off my diagnosis time. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, there's another but these very, are all very easy things in hindsight. Yeah, I was just going to mention <laughs> there's another very trouble. interesting project in that is, uh, I don't think it started yet, but will be starting in Barcelona with, with uh, face recognition software. And they're trying to figure out, yeah, they're trying to figure out because, uh, the, this, as yeah. you know, with, with uh, some of the face recognition software, very uh, very slight changes in in um, in face uh, in the in, in the way the face looks uh, that maybe uh, and uh, the human eye wouldn't recognize it. Uh, so there's a there's a group in in Barcelona at Saint Paul's. It's called the hospital, uh, um, and I I talked to them the last time. We're actually going to publish some information on that pretty soon. So maybe keep an eye on. Pituitary World News about that. <laughs> so what uh, does the future hold for Pituitary World News looking forward to the next few years? And for, and for JD as well, what's, what's on the cards for you? We are right now working on a version in Spanish of Pituitary World News. We're hoping to get that up in the next month or so. And uh, we would like to obviously um, grow, uh, keep growing, you know, keep uh, getting people to look at the site and download the information and share it as much as possible. Uh, and, uh, you know, trying to connect with people like you that are doing great work and, uh, uh, you know, just collaborate as much as we can. We, we created Pituitary World News as a platform for, we call it innovation and creativity and collaboration. So the door is open to, to, to uh, because this is not going to be one, you know, this is going to be something that requires uh, a lot of people working together to, uh, to make it happen.
And do you, has this been a cathartic thing for you? Uh, because you know, I think we're all we all get pissed off that we're struck down with this condition that changes yeah. our lives yeah. and doesn't help, yeah. Um, yeah. and makes life a bit of a struggle. <clears throat> has this been? Um, is this a good sort of uh, way of sort of releasing those tensions, or you know, knowing that you're helping other people as well? Yeah, you know, you, th- you think about all the bad things that come with a chronic disease, and then you think about maybe positively and the gift that sometimes that a. a uh, uh, a rare disease can give you. And for me, uh, pituitary oral nose was sort of a gift. I, I enjoy doing it a lot. I, I love the idea of maybe thinking about new ways of doing things that have been done the same way. Uh, it's, it's always had that opportunity in my career. Uh, learn what people think and how, you know, get insight from people to make the work better and more effective uh, and uh, try to engage as many people as we can. So for me, um, you know, in that sense, acromegaly was a gift. I don't think I would have ever thought of doing this if I wasn't struck with with this uh, disease. So, no, that that's fantastic. Yeah, and as you say very well, you you know you you deal with a lot of related conditions. In my case, you know, uh, joint issues and back pain and all kinds of things. But it makes it um, you know you just don't think about it and you just get up in the morning and go on with your life and uh, choose to maybe not pay too much attention to the bad things. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. And I think that really yeah. comes around, you know, maybe 10 years, 8, 10, 12 years post, post-treatment when you kind of live, start to live with the routine, whether maybe the resentment of the condition has kind of vanished a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. For, for me, uh, the longer I, from my diagnosis day, the least, as a, the least I feel like a chronic patient. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but you just live with it. it you know, it's reality, and, you know, you get up and get on with it. You know, there's, there's other things to do. So Get up and get on with it. Well, I think on that very rousing, positive note, I'm going to end this session of Acro Tales. JD, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, uh, finding out more about Pachurchi World News and your own personal story as well. So I'm really, really grateful for you, for your contribution today. Thank you, Daniel. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope to catch up with you soon somewhere I'm, around the world. I'm sure we will. <laughs> and if if you found JD's story interesting and you want to hear other Acro Tales, head over to the uh, website, acrotales.com, where you can find the ever-expanding library of interviews. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast to receive your updates straight to your phone or your podcast app uh, via iTunes, Spotify, and so on. So this is me, Dan Jeffrey, saying thank you very much for listening and see you on the next Acro Tales. Yeah.